Amen. Well, you can have a seat. Man, I hope that encourages you. That encourages me. I love that. I love that. God is so good and so faithful, and His Word is so true, and and uh, what an encouragement it was to be able to just sing that song. There's just something about that song that takes us to this place of faith and belief again. Um, well, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I guess in some ways I used to be a church planter, because I mean... The church is almost, I mean, it's a little over 10 years now. And so, you know, I, I used to be a church planner, right? That's good. Um, but there is this part of me, like, I just think I'll always be one of those kinds of people. Like, you know, maybe you're a little more entrepreneurial. Like, that's how you see the world. And you're kind of that kind of person. And, 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 and that's just kind of how I'm wired. I mean, even though we've planted Elevation and Gretchen and I and, and our family, but at the same time, the, the thing that I know is that my personality still goes with me. Even if I'm not planting a church in function, uh, I still have that same personality. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it just, it's there. It's, it's built in by God. It's there. And, and uh, one of the things that makes me decent at church planting is I have um, a way of seeing the world that other people don't always see it the same way. Do you know what I mean? Now, I say that, and you think, wow, what a gift. Well, I've discovered that it's not always a gift for people on the receiving end of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm one of those guys that likes to push. I like to push things along. I, when people say, no, we can't, I say, yes, we can. Right? I, I like people that are solution-oriented. I don't like when people just bring me problems. I want them to bring me solutions. You know what I'm talking about. And so some of you in the room that are a little bit more on that side of things, you get what I'm saying. Like, it's, a, it's almost a curse in some ways. Like, I walk into a room, and I see things that other people don't see. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I walk in, and I see things if they're out of order. I literally on a Sunday morning can walk in and see things and be like, oh, we got to fix that. Oh, we got to fix that, right? Now, I don't know about you, but for some people, that feels like, well, man, he's always like telling us things are wrong, right? You know what I mean? Like it's, he's micromanaging me. You know what I mean? I, I know, I know, I get it, I get it. But, but, but one of the things that I've learned about myself is, is I'm that way. And so I have to figure out, okay, how do I not go over into the dark side with that giftedness? How do I, how do I learn how to utilize the, the, the personality and the giftedness that God has given me and not necessarily uh, harm myself and harm other people. Can you relate? Can you relate to that? Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? Have you ever been the person doing it? And, 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 and you're just trying to fix the problem. Like it's, the, it's hard for me to even go to another church. Like I walk into a church and I am like, I've been trained to see what's wrong. Like it's, a, it's actually kind of a curse. Now it can be a great thing. Like, it can help move organizations along. It helps us, you know, tweak small tweaks to high peaks. You, can, you know what I mean? It's, it's a good thing, but it also can be not necessarily a good thing because what starts to happen, if I'm not careful, not just with the people on the outside of it, but with myself, if I'm not careful, I actually start to believe that I'm in control of all things. And if I believe that, what can happen is that when things don't go my way, come on, 
when the things I plan or I have clearly communicated. <laughs> this bubble starts to happen. Like there's a bubbling that starts to occur. Uh, it, it, it's, it usually manifests itself in probably anger. Even if I don't express it in an angry way, this anger can come up in me because the thing that I thought was going to work right isn't working the way that I thought. You know what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're, in, if you're, if you're tracking, some of you in the room are tracking because you have the same personality. And so what's happened is, is that when things don't go my way, so to speak, this anger can start to bubble up in me. And the even scarier thing that can happen is if I'm not really careful, I might even start having this hidden resentment towards people who aren't doing it right. Come on. Oh, I'm just, we're just getting real today. Because I think in order for us as a church, as a people, as a group of people who claim to know Jesus, we've got to be honest about who we are. This whole series that we're in called Monsters in the Closet is about trying to really dig into not just the personality that God gave us, which God gave us a personality. It's a good personality. It's a good thing. But it's also marred by sin. And that sinful side of us can come out. You know what I'm talking about? So like the Bible says, it's okay to be angry, but don't sin in your anger, right? Like sometimes we've thought that the Bible says you're not supposed to be angry. If you're angry, you're a bad person. No, that's not what it says. The Bible says that emotions are indicators. And so if I'm angry, there has to be a reason that I'm angry. Something has happened. Someone moved my cheese. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you remember that book. And, and, and so what happens is, is when that happens, this stuff inside me starts to happen. And if I'm not careful, what I'll do is I'll act in that, quote, shadow side of myself. And not only do I hurt myself in that, I hurt other people. I actually become a, a poor representation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be who you are. Because quite frankly, elevation came from my head into reality. Now, I'm not saying I'm cool. I'm just simply saying that that's what happened. We gathered people around and we worked and we worked and we created something beautiful. I mean, look at you guys. You're just beautiful people. Yeah. But I can guarantee you I pushed. And there were times I pushed and it was healthy. And then there have been times probably I've pushed and people wanted to choke me. True. Amen. Amen. <laughs> right? <laughs> Titus, you weren't even here. <laughs> so, so in order for us to embrace and experience the abundance that God wants to bring into our life, we have to be willing to investigate those monsters in our closet. Because eventually they will come out. You know what I talked about? I talked about pressure last week. And how pressure can either produce a diamond or it can produce a problem. Pressure is something that we all will experience. Isn't that true? 
All of us will, whether it's at work, in the home, in relationships. But what happens is when we're squeezed, what comes out? Is it the good side of our personality? Or is it the monster in the closet? So, I want to speak to you a little bit more about that today. I uh, wanted to share with you our series verse, which is in Matthew chapter 18. Listen to these verses. This is Jesus speaking. And he says this. He says, then, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of God. Now, what's Jesus saying? He's trying to communicate something to us that all of us have to recognize we have a problem. We have to recognize that there's an issue in our lives and that without his help, we're in trouble. And so what he says is you have to recognize that there's a problem and then you have to, quote, humble yourself like a child because he says that in verse 4, right? He says, so anyone who becomes humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. So he not only tells you the problem, he gives you the solution, praise God. And so the solution, he says, is to live a life of humility. To say, you know what? I don't always have it figured out. You know what? I do need people to help me. You know what? Sometimes I'm arrogant. You know what? Sometimes I'm too controlling. You know what? Sometimes I have issues, right? And I know that's hard, especially for some of us that are just full of pride. Now, you probably don't have any of that in your life. Just me, the preacher. But pride is, is, is one of those things that will destroy everything that God wants to give us. Do you know it was pride that led to Lucifer falling from heaven? It was his own pride. And that is, that's why the Bible so clearly says that pride comes before a what? Fall. It always does, and it always will. And so Jesus is telling us just the opposite. He said, don't be taken by pride. Be, embrace something different. Embrace a humility that's like a child. And when you do, you recognize that you don't have it all figured out, that you need help, and that you confess your sins. And then what happens is you start to live a life that is full. You start to live a life that's humble. You start to put yourself in a position to receive everything that God wants to give you, but you are now in a receptive posture and not with your hands clenched trying to keep something see that's what pride does pride wants us to control things pride wants us to 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 try to order our private world in such a way that we'll never experience pain or suffering or difficulties or problems you know what i'm talking about now some of you are like well i don't know anything about what he's saying and so praise god this might not be your monster but we'll get to yours soon enough But today we're going to talk a little bit about control. The monster of a compulsion to control. If we don't work to figure out that monster, deal with that monster, that monster will eventually come out when we're squeezed and the abundant life that Jesus wants us to experience will go away. God wants us to experience it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus, when he says in his word that he wants you to experience an abundant life, do you believe that? Okay, so Jesus is not a liar. We've established that. Even people that don't even believe in God probably are like, Jesus, yeah, he's probably not a liar. And he says very clearly to us that his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. And so I just have to be honest. 
If I'm not experiencing a rich and satisfying life, then that means something's not wrong with God. That means something's wrong with me. That his word is true. And so what I have to do is figure out where I need to make adjustments in order to embrace the life that he wants to give me. Amen? So we talked about the monster. What is this monster that lives in the closet? Well, we talked about it this way. Is it's, a, it's a dysfunctional aspect of, of, our, of our personality that can hijack the life of abundance that Jesus wants to give us. Or let me say it differently. Uh, it's our inner urges. You know, those inner urges, those compulsions, those motivations and dysfunctions that drive us towards success. So like, for example, as a church planter, it can drive me towards success. But there's also a flip side to it that not only can it drive me towards success, but it can undermine, it can undermine our own accomplishments. So in the process of being successful, I can actually cut my own legs off in the process because I allowed the monster to come out and my, accomplish, my accomplishments get marred. And the easiest way to see that is to just simply look through history at leaders who failed, that have failed massively. They've done great things, but then something about their personality led to them making choices that actually destroy the very accomplishments that they've made. I don't want that in my life. Do you? Do you like want to run the race really well and get to the end and screw the whole thing up and then that's all that people remember? What a horrible way to go. And so in order to finish well, we all have to be serious about this. And so last week we talked about how important it is that we be humble because that humility leads to our healing. It's an openness to God that says, yeah, I need your help, God. I'm desperate for you. I know sometimes I act like I got it all figured out, but Jesus, I really don't. I really don't. And the truth is, is that everybody around you knows that about you. You just haven't figured it out yet. And so my point is, is that human beings, we have to live lives of humility. But today I want to, like I said, deal with the monster of control. Now, a few books, in, I'm sorry, into the Old Testament, there's the first five books of the Old Testament are called the Torah. It's where you see books like Genesis, right? You heard of Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Numbers, right? That, that, those are those first five books of the Bible. Those books were written, historically, we believe they were written by Moses. And Moses makes this account, which is kind of curious if you think about it. Like if you're writing the book, I don't know about you, but there's a part of me that if I was writing the book, I would want to make myself look real good. But he, he actually doesn't do that. He shares what's real. He tells us what's real. And so he tells these stories. And, I, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But just for a moment, could we, I don't know, I'm, I'm, let's call it like, um, what do you call it? Like a, I'm like a fake psychologist. All right, let's just go with that. Like a fake psychologist. And, and so all of this is in some ways speculation, right? Conjecture. So don't be like, well, pastor said this was the word of God. No, I didn't say that. I, I'm, I'm just simply kind of putting ourselves in the story, all right? Now, put yourself in the story. 
I want to talk about Moses for a second. Some of you know the story of Moses. You know how things went down for him. You remember the basket, and he got put in the basket, and the basket in the Nile, and, and then somebody pulls him out of the Nile, and you know the whole story, right? And then eventually he grows up in a different home. Uh, he, he does some things, not good things. He, 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 he then is called by God. And, I mean, it's a, it's a whole story. Like, and so if you want to read it, just simply go to the book of Exodus, and you'll discover the story. Now, what I want to do for just a moment is look at some of the things that happened in Moses' life. And what I want us to do, just, just for a moment, is to kind of reflect on how that might make you feel. How would this affect you as a human being? Because Moses was a human. Did you know that? He had emotions. He had feelings. He was a human. So, so he's not, like, you know how we put people on a pedestal? And we're like, hey, yeah, he's Moses. He probably had no problems. Yeah, that's not true. He's a human. And he records this for us. And so here are some things that I know about his life. One of the things is that he definitely had some unmet needs. I mean, think about this. He was abandoned at an, as an infant. Like literally, put in a basket, see you later, kid. Abandonment really affects us, doesn't it? I mean, if you feel abandonment, that can mess you up. And so, so, so this is real about Moses' life. Now, he was pulled out of the Nile... And he was adopted, get this, he was adopted by the enemies of his own people. So he was a Jew, not, he was not from Egypt. And so he was adopted into a family that felt like his people were bad. Get this. So now he's being raised up in this kind of community. His family is a royal family. I don't know about you, but I think living in a royal family could create some problems in your brain. I mean, just ask Harry. The guy's struggling, you know? I mean, the people of England are like, I don't even, we don't even know what to do with Harry. He was so sweet, and now he's not. And they're always, and it's funny, like they're even speculating, you know, that the, the pressure of the royal family has created this this thing in him and he's he's just struggling in his psyche and you know what i mean like you some of you have read the stories you're like i love this stuff oh i love the princess and the prince and all the fun and the king and the whole thing right but can you imagine the pressure that he felt the rules and the regulations god i would lose my mind sit down stand up do this genuflect Thank you. Is that a curtsy? What's a genuflect? Bow forward. Yeah, see, Titus doesn't know what he's saying. Yeah, that's the sign of the cross. So, so wait, so wait. So, so this royal family, the pressure that he felt, can you imagine? He's in a home that he was adopted into probably doesn't always feel like he fits. Matter of fact, we know he doesn't feel like he fits because eventually he starts to figure it out. He starts to understand the problem. All the accompanying expectations, all the expectations from being in that family and how that begins to mess with you and shape you. And then, and then, and then, then he has this moment of clarity. Well, maybe it's not clarity. Maybe it's just a moment of anger. And he sees the people of God being abused. 
And something in him doesn't know what to do with it. And so what he does is he murders somebody. He kills them. That's Moses. After he murders this guy, he runs. He's on the run because he knows he's in trouble. And he's done something he shouldn't have done. And then, the ultimate. He's rejected by his grandfather. His adopted grandfather rejects him. Abandonment, rejection, anger, expectations. I don't know about you, but that can mess you up. That can start to inform your thinking. That can take a personality that God has given and twist and contort it to a point that you start to live out the monster and not the saint. The person that God created you to be is not the one that gets manifested. Now, the good news is, is that Moses had a relationship with God. And from that relationship with God, he was able to navigate that. And here's the truth. He didn't always do it right. Guys, that's the good news. Did you know that? That's the good news for our lives, is that we don't always do it right. But it takes humility to recognize that we don't do it right. It takes humility to allow other people into our lives to help us on the journey. It takes humility to get to the place that we want to go. And so Moses understood this. But friends, he did all kinds of things to mess it up. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it's estimated that, that when Moses was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt... In the slavery, you know, they were in slavery. He led them out of Egypt. It's estimated that there are around 3 million, come on, 3 million Jews that he was leading out of slavery in Egypt. Can you imagine that for a moment? That's a lot of Jews. And somehow he was supposed to be the one leading all of these people. And if you have a compulsion of control, <laughs> if you have a compulsion of control, that's your monster. Can you imagine trying to deal with three million people? Go here, do that, right? I mean, I can't imagine what this guy was feeling. I mean, the type of anxiety and frustration and, 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 and just the sheer enormity of this situation. What in the world am I supposed to do with all of these people that have lived in slavery for so long? They don't even know how to behave. They don't even know how to wash themselves properly. Literally, God in Leviticus teaches his people how to do those things. Basic hygiene. As he tries to build this people into a holy people. Moses is dealing with this reality. And so what I want to do for just a moment is compare and contrast two situations that we find Moses in. And so the first here is in Exodus chapter 18. Listen to this. This is in Exodus chapter 18 starting in verse 13. The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. Get the picture. He sits down. And now it's time for him to hear the disputes. Now, when I hear, hear the disputes, I think, well, you know, he's got a couple of people on his, uh, on his calendar, on his day planner. Has a few people he needs to, you know, help figure things out with. Just remember, three million. Got that. They wanted, they waited, sorry, they waited before him morning and evening. 
Like they're sitting outside saying, when are you going to get to it, Moses? Moses, I've got a problem here. Uh, Joey has taken my goat. And I need you to give a judgment on whether that was right for Joey to take my goat. Noon and night. Morning and night. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Verse 14. When Moses, oh, I love this. When Moses' father-in-law saw that Moses, all that he was doing for the people, he asked this. What are you really accomplishing here? How many of you would love to have your father-in-law say that to you? How many of you hate the fact when your father-in-law is right and you're wrong? Oh, okay, we won't get into that. All right. He says, why are you trying to do all of this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? It's a great question. I suspect at this point Moses is not enjoying the question. Verse 15, Moses replied, watch this language, watch this. Because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. He keeps going. He says, when a dispute arises, they what? Come to me. And I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. That's a pretty important job. Verse 17. I love this. This is not good. Moses, this is not good. This is his father-in-law saying to him, Moses, this is not good. I even read into that. He's like, this is kind of double dumb. Have you had an expectation of yourself that was so unreasonable, but you kept trying to achieve it? And so his father-in-law says, this is not good. Verse 18, you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. And then he says, this job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, we sometimes use this passage of scripture to talk about how important it is to delegate, right? And so in leadership terms, we talk about delegation and how important it is. If you get to this place, you got to learn how to delegate because if you never delegate, then you're going to be uh, bottlenecking the organization and you're not going to be able to grow because you're not passing it out and making sure other people can help you because I can't meet with everybody. You know what I mean? And so Moses can't meet with everybody. But the thing that's interesting about this is that Moses is very clearly having to wrestle with this idea that his effort to control his world is leading to him being harmed physically, not good for you, and potentially the people around him being harmed because they don't get an answer soon enough and it potentially leads to more and more quarreling and more and more problems as you go down the line because I tried to get in to talk to Moses three months ago and I can't even get in and now I have this problem and the enemy has got me all messed up because I hate Joey because he stole my goat. See, see, see what I'm getting at? See, see Moses understood that there was a problem as, as his father-in-law starts to talk to him. But, but here's the thing. If Moses would have said to his father-in-law, I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand. You don't realize how important I am. I'm God's man. 
I'm the prophet of God. I'm the one that speaks on behalf of God. Matter of fact, I'm the one that meets face to face with God. And so the people need my judgment. They need me to speak into these situations. And if, if, if I don't, then who will? I know you've never said anything like that. I mean, you've never said it like that. But perhaps you've said things like, you know, because I, I, I've said this, if you want something done right, do it yourself, right? You know, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. You know, the truth is I could just do it faster. It takes so long to train somebody else. We say all kinds of things to convince ourselves that it's okay. But I want to suggest something to you today, and it's important you hear me. Just organizationally, if that's how you're functioning, you're the bottleneck to the growth that you want to see. Personally, you might have a control problem. You might be functioning in that side of yourself and it's actually leading to your problem. Like unhealthiness. Have you ever felt so stressed out you couldn't see straight? You ever felt so much anxiety because of what you were trying to do? Do you think that's God's will for your life? Do you think it's God's will for you to take over or take control of things that you really can't control anyway? But yet we do it all the time. Isn't that true? Come on. We do. I know I do. And I'll tell you this, the most healthy places, I've, unhealthy places I've ever been in is when I allow this to happen. So let's contrast that a little bit, right? Because again, I mean, Moses did this. He listens to his father-in-law and he begins to make changes. So he starts to set people in groups of 10 and groups of hundreds and groups of thousands. And they begin to distribute that kind of thing to the people of God. But then watch this. Moses's compulsive need to control was absolutely not a good thing for him or his people, right? We see that. But here's the other thing I want you to see. Moses was also susceptible to occasional public eruptions of anger. He, he really was. Now, I'm not saying Moses is bad. I'm just saying the guy got angry. And when he got angry, sometimes he did things that weren't always nice. True story. Listen to this in, no, in Numbers chapter 20. So Moses did as he was told. In other words, he had met with God. God told him to do something. And I'll tell you what he told you in just a, what he told him in just a second. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. So there's this staff, okay? Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. So there was a rock. They all gather at the rock. Moses has his staff. Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. And you say to yourself, what's the problem? Okay, let's keep going. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. So water was provided. The people of God had what they need. Uh, people were cared for. Water came out. Everybody was feeling pretty good about things. Verse 12. 
But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems harsh to me. So, so what happened? Well, God told Moses to do what? Speak to the rock. That's what he said. He says, Moses, speak to the rock, and you speak to the rock, and when you speak to the rock, the water will flow. But instead, Moses takes the staff. Did God ever tell him to take a staff? Nope. He takes the staff, he goes before the people, and he strikes the rock. Now, why was Moses striking the rock? Moses was not very happy with the people of God, and he wanted to make sure everybody knew it. And so in the process, he takes this staff, he strikes the rock in opposition to what God had told him to do, so he was living in disobedience, which leads to, this is the best part of the story, it leads to God still being gracious to his people, even though the leader screwed it up. Did you see it? He still gives them water. His people still drink. His grace is sufficient. And yet, he holds Moses accountable for allowing his anger to get the best of him. And the sum result of that, guys, get this, that when the people of Israel go into the promised land, he doesn't get to go. I don't know about you, but that would really upset me. And he says that he did it because he didn't trust him enough so God says, look, you let your anger control you. Your resentment towards the people of God led to you striking the rock when I told you to speak to the rock. And ultimately it leads to him not being able to do it. And so here's the thing. When, when we can't control something or someone, anger comes out. Do you know what I'm talking about? It just comes out. It starts to come out. Matter of fact, I think in Moses' case, there was some repression of that anger. There was some resentment about the people of God not doing. I mean, can you imagine if you came down from the mountain and there was a golden calf sitting there at the bottom of the mountain as you were up there meeting with God and the people of God are down there building a golden calf and he just brought them through the Red Sea, parted the whole thing, and now they're putting their faith in a golden calf instead of the one that actually parted the sea. I don't know about you, but if I was Moses, huh, I wouldn't be happy with those people. I'd be frustrated by the fact that they didn't listen. And I'd be even more frustrated that Aaron, my bro, was in on it. See what I'm getting at? Moses had a hard job. And as a result, he had to deal with this shadow side of him. And the thing that I've figured out is that anger, resentment, these are key ingredients to the monster of anger or the monster of, of, of uh, control to come out in our lives. You know what I love about God, though, is he doesn't leave us or forsake us. Even in the midst of Moses screwing it up, he still loved Moses. Even through his struggles, he did amazing things through this man. His kingdom, his plans, his fellowship with God. The Bible says that no one has had that kind of fellowship with God. He met with God face to face. So if God could meet with that guy face to face and deal with his stuff, then friends, he can deal with yours. He can help you be better. He can help me be better. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 34 says this. 
There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses. Look at that. Whom the Lord knew face to face. What a beautiful thing. And yet, a beautiful thing in a broken man that occasionally allowed his monster to come out. So what do we do? How do we figure this out? If you, if you as we've gone through this, if you've at any point been like, yeah, I think I might be me. I mean, I don't want to admit it publicly yet, but it might be me. What do we do? Well, here's what we know about this monster. This monster wants to maintain control at all costs. Come on. You want to maintain control at all costs because if you can maintain control, then you can keep things that you don't want happening from happening. Here's the problem. Control is an illusion. So we try to control our lives, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be disciplined and make sure you take the trash out and do the things and, you know, have the rules and the regulations and here's the chores. I get it. But what happens is when control takes over, where it becomes not a tool, but it becomes a God. And when it starts to take over, we end up hurting ourselves and people around us. It's a compulsive need. It's a compulsive need to control things so that we make sure that we keep absolute order in our lives. Because if we can keep absolute order, then we won't have any problems. Do you see how messed up that is? You know, and we know, that it doesn't matter if you have absolute control or not, you're still going to have problems. Like you just are. Did you know people have free will? Did you know that some people get up every day wanting to make you mad? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that's true. But isn't it true, though, as you walk through life, somebody's going to do something that's going to frustrate you, that didn't do it the way you want? I told you to get those fingerprints off of that. You, you, yes. And so, 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 so what happens is we have this compulsion to keep absolute order. And, and, and what's interesting, if I say in leadership, if I said there's a leader like that, you're like, yeah, I knew that leader. Worked for him. Worked for her. I know exactly what that person's like. I was under the tyranny. But what if we just take this need, this compulsion to control, and place it in the family? In your marriage, in your friendships. Do you see what I'm getting at? Because sometimes when we think about these things, we think it's outside of ourselves. It's somebody else's problem. But the reality is, is it's really our problem. If we have this shadow side, if we have this monster, it's really our problem. And I've seen so many kids and moms and dads live under this tyranny and this illusion of control. That if somehow I just do this and do this and do this, then everything's going to be okay. And then when it's not, it destroys their entire world. Because control is not a tool anymore, it's a God. And it's led to your own demise. And we see that in our friendships. You ever met a controlling friend? You ever had a, maybe you're the controlling friend. They're like, you're like, uh-uh, this wasn't me. Have you had three or four people tell you it is? You're like, okay. Maybe you're right. See, people who have this monster, they live with this direct reflection that if everything happens right, 
in their performance and in their person and all of those things, then everything's going to be okay. And then the moment that something happens to turn that cart upside down, which is inevitable, it destroys not just their performance or their world, or it destroys them. And when it gets to that point that that person is being squeezed, guess what comes out? Anger, resentment, frustration, right? That's Christian anger. I'm frustrated with you. Just be honest. You're angry. You're angry. And this is what I know. If we allow anger or resentment to get a hold of us, it will eat us from the inside out. That's why the Bible says you shouldn't allow yourself, you should not go to sleep with anger in your heart towards someone. You're like, well, pastor, what's the big deal? Here's what, I'm going to listen to me. I'm going to give you a warning. Here's the big deal. When you're asleep, you're vulnerable. Does that make sense? Your subconscious is there. You're not fighting things off with your brain working in the same way. So what happens, the reason Jesus says this to us, is that when we go to bed on our anger, it, it can take root in our lives, and it starts to metastasize in our lives. And so when we get up the next morning, it's harder to get rid of it the next day. But if we would simply give it away to God before we go to bed, have the conversation, do the thing that we need to do, then what happens is it won't metastasize in our life and become bitterness, resentment, and anger that we eventually leak on other people and hurt them with our unforgiveness or our own brokenness or our monster side. Guys, I'm preaching way good right now. <laughs> I'm just telling you, this is good for you. If you have this monster, friends, I'm helping you today. Because you don't want to live with bitterness. I mean, anybody in here want that? Do you want to live with resentment or anger? Do you want to wake up in the morning and be like, man, I hate this world. I hate people. I hate them all. No, who wants that? But if we don't deal with this stuff, this is the kind of things that can happen. And so it's okay to exercise. It's okay to have a routine. It's okay to, to have a schedule. We all need them. Those are good things for us. But when those things actually become bigger than they need to be, what happens? We hurt people. Have you ever had this moment where something didn't go your way and you yelled at somebody because it didn't? Well, of course we have. Even if you don't have this monster, you've probably done it. But we don't want to be those people, do we? We want to be self-controlled. That's what, It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? self-controlled human beings, lovers of Jesus. And so we have to make sure that we're careful and not allow these things to take over in our lives. People that have this monster are kind of status conscious. You know, they're always kind of concerned about what other people are thinking or how they're going to perceive them. Their, 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 their approval needed, especially by authorities. Like they need authorities to affirm them and make sure that they're doing a good job. They try to control their activities. They tend to be workaholics because so much of their being is wrapped up in their doing. And see, these are the kinds of things that really break us. And you know what else? They become pretty judgmental and moralistic because if you just did it right, you would be fine. You ever felt that way? You may not have said it, but have you ever met with someone and, and in your mind you're thinking, if you would just do what I told you to do, you'd be fine. 
Friends, as a pastor, I have that thought all the time. And so, 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 so we have to go deeper. We have to ride that monster all the way down and look at any anger or rebelliousness in us because when Moses struck the rock, he wasn't just angry. He was living in rebellion to something that God directly told him to do. And there are things in the Bible that many of us are living in direct opposition to something God has told us to do with our emotions that we're not doing. And we think it's okay. And we blame it and we make excuses and we say it was my mom that hurt me, my dad that hurt me, I was in trauma. I get all that. Friends, I've experienced my fair share of trauma. But if we never address the trauma, those things will continue to control us. They'll continue to ruin our lives they will take the very thing that Jesus wants to give us, this abundant life, and destroy us. Could we be any more serious today, Pastor? See, we, but if we don't do this, this is what I know. Remember the image I showed last week if you weren't here? I just, I basically took a balloon with some soda, what is it? Baking soda in it, and I poured it in a bottle of vinegar, and it made the balloon go pfft science experiment <laughs> what is that for the person with this monster it's the explosion it's the powder keg of anger it's the powder keg it's when you explode on somebody else and you think why did I just do that these are the kinds of things that God wants to help us deal with and so as we get to the end I see this in the church I see this in myself sometimes like I have a commitment to excellence you ever heard that? We pursue excellence in this organization. It's a razor's edge, isn't it? Excellence sometimes can become perfectionism, something that none of us are ever able to achieve. And so I'm not saying, matter of fact, I think excellence is a great thing for us to have. But we got to just make sure we don't weaponize it and harm the people that we care about in the process. I'm not saying don't have standards. I'm not saying be who God made you to be. But I am saying don't be the monster side of it. Because if you do, you'll hurt yourself and you'll hurt other people. Can you imagine a community of people that started to figure this out? How much better we would love each other? God calls us to this kind of beloved community that we love each other in a way that's different than the world. But in order to do that, we've got to investigate the monsters that are in our closet. So here I want to do as I close, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. As I was talking, did you catch a glimpse of yourself in my descriptions? <laughs> maybe there was a little bit, right? You were like, eh, I kind of. But maybe you actually felt like someone crawled like inside your skin and started to like describe you perfectly. I don't know where you landed. I don't know where you landed. And I'm not even judging you. I'm simply saying, why don't we assess ourselves and take it to the Lord? Because here's what I know. I'll never get healthy. I'll never be whole if I don't surrender my monster of control to God. And so here's a few thoughts. Be honest. And just simply ride that monster all the way to the ground and see what God wants to say to you. 
How do you do that? Well, here, here's one thing I know. Number two is you have to investigate possible origins and sources. Did you hear me? Your story matters. Just like Moses' story matters, your story matters. And there are things that you've experienced in your life that sometimes you live out of that isn't healthy for you. And so assessing what that is, are you, Pastor, are you saying I might need to go to a counselor? Yes. It's exactly what I'm saying. Make sure it's a Christian counselor because I have no interest in humanistic thought, which plagues most psychology. And so go somewhere that they know the wisdom of the Bible as they help you sort through your stuff. And you're like, Pastor, have you ever done it? Yes. Do you think I could lead this church without going to a counselor? <laughs> Some of you got that, right? I deal with people every day of my life. And sometimes sheep bite. Did you know that? Sometimes they smell. Sometimes they cause problems. Sometimes they follow, follow other sheep off a cliff. And as a pastor, I have to deal with those things. And so I have to always make sure my heart is soft before the Lord. And so I'm not asking you to do something I don't do. Because, see, we have to be soft before the Lord. We have to recognize that we live in a place of humility. And if we'll do that, God will heal us. God will help us. God will do the things that he says he'll do. And so be honest. Investigate that source. And then finally, very simply, have someone hold you accountable to it. Do you have anybody in your life that can call you on something? Like your behavior? Like even your spouse. Is there a point where you have some rules in your relationship that if you're acting out of your shadow side, your spouse can say, flag! I mean, do you have any accountability in your life around this matter? Because if you don't, I'm just going to tell you, you grinning and bearing, you know, and I'm going to work really hard. It's not going to work. You need the power of the Holy Spirit and you need some friends. And when you get that right, I promise you, you'll start to see God heal you. And I look forward to the day that when I see fingerprints on something, smudges, flags that aren't put up, cups that don't have gift cards in them, you know, like stuff like that. That I'll be like, you know what? That's a problem. We have to fix that. Let's fix it. And it doesn't lead to. Do <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? That's what God wants for us. And as we fight this, as we, as, we, as, we, as we ride this dragon or this monster all the way to the ground, I believe God wants to heal us. I hope you do as well. And so Jesus says to each one of us, if we'll ride it down, if we'll go in there and investigate that monster, he says that he'll bring abundant life into our, into our existence. And that's what I want. And I know that that's what you want. And so let's do that as a church. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word reads us and helps us. God, today I want to pray for anybody that's struggling with this, this control monster. For all the intercessors in the room, would you just begin to pray? What I want to do is I want to pray for anybody who, who struggles with this monster. If you'd just be honest, say, yeah, I got this one. 
This is me. Climbed right in the middle of my nightmare, Pastor. Thank you. If you just be honest about that, I, I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. God, I ask in the name of Jesus for a humility. Lord, I, I believe that there's faith in this room. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that faith would unlock healing. Humility would unlock healing. And so for anybody in the room that struggles with this shadow side, this, this particular monster, I pray for a freedom to come in their life as they investigate, as they're honest, and as they get accountability. God, I pray for freedom in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Even if you don't feel it, just receive it. And by faith, believe that it's done. And that God has got you on a new path that isn't full of resentment or anger or frustration. It's a new path of life and joy and blessing and abundance. So Jesus says to all of us, I want to give you abundant life. But I'll just say this really honestly. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if he's not your Savior or your Lord, you, you would not say that's true, then the abundance that Jesus wants to bring to you will never come. And my heart for you as a pastor is that you would simply surrender to this reality that Jesus Christ came into this world died a brutal death on a cross to save you from yourself to save you from your sin to give you victory over the things that bind you and to restore you back to a father that loves you you know, the Bible says that if you would simply confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that these things are true, that God will save you and he will begin the process of transforming you into the person that he wants you to be. And so I want to offer a prayer for anybody in this room that desires to take that step of faith. And so, church, let's all pray together. I don't want anybody to feel like they're having to pray alone. And so would we just pray this together. And if this is you, if this is your prayer, then man, by all means, say these words with me. Repeat this. Heavenly Father, I confess to you my sins. I need a Savior. I humble myself before you like a little child. Would you save me? I surrender my life to you. Will you be my Lord? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you help me to wrestle these monsters to the ground? I choose this day to follow you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate anybody that was giving their life to the Lord today?
Amen.